But anyway, uh, like Joe was saying, we're not done upstairs yet. And we wanted to get everything done before we moved in. And anyway, Revelation 2, 12 through 17, we're talking about the church of Pergamon. And it's called the, this church is called the Compromising Church. And anyway, that's what they were struggling with because not everybody was that way. It was just a few in there. And the angel of the church of Pergamon right? These things says, he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Edifice was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have, have there, those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, and taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Verse 15. Thus also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, uh, the ladies, which, uh, which cannot be. I do that all the time. But repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And, and because I put that word, don't forget that word because it's a big deal. The Nicolaitans. And 17, who has here, let him hear what the Spirit said to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give him, or then some of the hidden man of the and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we thank you for the word and the power that's in the word. And Father, we just ask that as we go through this today, that you speak what you want to speak to the body. And Father, I believe this letter is for today. And Father, that we can use this to minister in our lives today. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you today, I would ask that they would be saved. If everyone is saved here today, I ask that we do our jobs and bring out the lost. And Father, we just ask us again, Lord, that you're going to stay upon this service. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. There's four points that I wanted to make today, and the first one is the an angel, and I believe that he's talking about the pastor of the church of Pergamon. And I believe that, that we'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm going to move on to the next point. The church, you, with the lampstand, and, and basically on these two, Jesus says he's got us in the palm of his hand in this scripture. And the third point is Jesus knows us. He knows everything going on in our lives. He knows us inside out. And, and then the problems that the church was facing back then. And, and, and people of God, I think we're facing the same problem today in the United States of America. And you'll understand that when I get into and, and talk about it here in a minute. <laughs> the angel, again, of the church of Pergamon right. If you look up the word angel in the Greek, uh, angelus, which means a human messenger or angel, one sent on a special mission, one dispatched to perform a special assignment, a delegate or a dignitary, the role of a pastor or messenger of God. If you read this chapter out of the New Living Translations, it will actually call it the messenger, referring to the pastor of the church. And the reason I think this is important is these letters, when, when they were written, went to the pastor. The pastor examined the letter. They studied the letter. 
they prayed about the letter, they presented it to the church to, to help them through what they were going through. And I say to us today that, that I believe the pastor over every church, that, that, that God assigns a pastor over church. And the pastor to be that leader, and I believe God speaks through that pastor the things that he wants the church to know. And I'm not saying he can't speak to the body, he does. But he speaks through the pastor to the, the body. And, and the point that I'm trying to make here today is we see even Jesus in this passage of scripture that he himself was even obedient to the leadership and the way that the Lord had designed and established it. Uh, he, he went to the church pastor first, and then the pastor took it to the church. And even God honored that leadership and that, that position. And we need to, as adults and as a church, honor that position. Now, I'm not up here saying, you need to do everything that I'm telling you to do. I'm not up here saying, if I say it, it's, it's that way or the highway. Uh, a good pastor wouldn't do that to begin with. Uh, we're going to get into the church, the responsibilities of the church in a second. But the, the pastor is the one God's anointed and put into place in that position. And we need to honor that. And a lot of times it's hard to do because in my lifetime we've had some dead pastors. You may think that I'm a dead pastor. But if you look even at Saul when he dealt with David, or David dealt with Saul, he never ever came against Saul. He let the Lord deal with it. He honored the position. And here we see even Christ honoring the position of the pastor, the leadership role of the church to give these words to the body. But the interesting thing about this is whether you agree with me or not on it, be it pastor, angel, or messenger, God says he had this in the palm of his hand. And that's refreshing to me as a pastor, especially when you're doing a building project. You can't please everybody. And it's good to know that I'm in the palm of God's hand and that he cares for me and that he's speaking for me. And it's my responsibility as a pastor to take what he tells me, pray about it, study on it, and to present it to you in the body the best that I can. And that's like that role of the pastor. <coughs> I wanted to mention that even in the, the, my mission and belief as a pastor is to go save disciples saying and to go north, south, east, and west. And it's, it's always burdening me. And, and another reason I share this today is because the, God's the one that that in me. Uh, I, I can't get away from it. I, it, it, it. It talks to me all the time. It, it pushes me all the time. That mission that God has called me to do, and I believe he's called open to do that as well. And, and you guys have done well about that. And you've honored that and you've supported that. But again, as we follow the scripture and make sure the scripture lines up with what the pastor is telling the people, again, always make sure that it follows the word. The second point in here, this is the one I wanted to get into so much today, is that the church. Uh, Pergamon was located in the roughest, toughest part of Asia Minor. And I think I talked to you a couple of weeks ago that if you look at a map, it's basically all these seven churches were in the area of Turkey, and where Turkey is now, and they were within 30 to 40 miles, some were further than that, but they were all in Asia. And, and at the seven, Jesus was saying this was the roughest, the toughest part of Asia Minor. 
The Bible even said in verse 13 that where Satan's throne is, where Satan himself dwells. And, and, and I think they got that because the, the Roman Empire also, the, the person that oversaw the Roman Empire in that area, the headquarters was in Pergamum. And so, you know, Rome had sent their people out into Turkey and that Asia area, and they were all there. They had a man that was over that area and where these seven churches were located. And everybody knows that the Romans believed in emperor worship. So if you didn't worship the, the emperor, and you're a Christian, you wouldn't worship the emperor, then you were going to be in trouble. Well, the guy that made sure all that happened in all the other churches, in that area that was responsible for that, lived in Pergamon. That was in the headquarters of this Roman uh, leadership. So it was a rough, tough, just a tough, tough area. And you're going to see in the scripture there, and I was trying to see, I'll scroll back up, uh, we're talking about the prophet, or the pastor, or the person, Adamus, Adamus that was a martyr, faithful martyr, I might say. Uh, that place was so wicked that this guy, Antipas, he was going around, he was casting out demons, he was, he was uh, creating a stir in the demonic world, and the pagans became upset because the demons became upset, and, and because Antipas was casting out the demons in that area. In other words, the church was making a difference. In one of the pagan temples in Pergamum, there was a bull. And guys, I can't remember the movie, but I watched it as a kid. But they literally, it was a Greek mythology type movie, like Hercules or something. But I can't remember what it's called, but they literally had this bull. And the way this bull was described in history that, that Anabit died by was exactly the same. In other words, in this temple, there was this great big iron bull. And in its head, they put uh, musical instruments, what commentaries say. They put in the head of this bull and out the nostrils. And then whenever the door was cut in the bull, and they would throw those that would not bow down to the emperor, or those that would not do what they were told, they would throw them in this pool. And as they would light a fire underneath them, they would begin to roast them, barbecue them. And they would scream out and cry out or, or worship me, whatever they may be doing at the time, that noise would go through that, 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 that musical part of that, the horns and the pipes, and it would sound like that bull come to life. And that was portrayed in that movie to a T. And I thought they got that from this, this description of it, or this following up on this Antipas that died. And that's how evil this place was. Is if you didn't follow God, you were going to die for it. And, and, and they were coming against this, this church like you wouldn't believe. But what really, where I was heading with this whole point here today, was Paul knew. God knew, first off. Paul knew, the Holy Spirit knew that this is one of the most wicked places ever to live. And Paul built a church there. He planted a church there. Did you ever think about that? He planted a church there. Man, that pumps me up when I think about it because it wasn't like the, the church went and hid. And they didn't go hide from the world, but, but Paul himself went out and found the, the, the toughest, roughest place. And he planted the church of Pergamon 
but at the feet of the throne, the, the altar of Satan, he planted a church. Man, that is powerful to me. That, that we, the church, I believe Oakland was planted where we're at to make a difference in this community. That Satan has a stronghold or, or places around in this community, and as a church, we need to spot them. And we need to plant ourselves there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to proclaim Christ as our Lord and Savior and share Him everywhere. Amen. And so many times we look at the book of Revelation and we're like, oh, it's so sad, it's scary, I'm scared, I'm all this. And he planted a church right smack in the devil's face. That reminded me of the scripture that we preached on me weeks ago. But on this rock, Peter, the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that just pumps me up, guys, open on this rock, this community, this area. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we go out and we take this land. We go out in the power and anointing of God to take the land. And we go powerfully out to do it. And we're going to talk later on that that's why that the Jesus was kind of getting after the church a little bit because they started backing away and weakening in that. They started compromising and started pulling back from what God called them to do there. Just a few of them. I'd say just a, a, probably a little bit of them. But it was a cancer to the whole church that Christ wanted to get out because he put them there to win people to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? The people that, that would get saved over a guy that loved his Lord and Savior so much that he was willing to not confess Roman kings or Roman queens or, or confess that the world was this and Christ was not, that they threw him in and burned him. You guys realize when they got done burning this guy, they, the skin would fall off of him and they literally took his bones and polished them and made necklaces and things, ornaments to wear and to put around their houses. That's what they did to this guy. And man, I'd be thinking, I wish I had the guest to live for Christ like that. Just think of the people that got turned on for the Lord because of the sin that he never once disowned his Lord and Savior. But as we think about that, what does the church mean? And this is what I was referring to earlier. The pastor is just a part of the church. You're the church. We're the church. When you look up the Greek word uh, uh, in, 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 on the church back then, E-K-K-E-S-I-A, and this is what they meant when they talked about Pergamum. And when we talk about church, this is what it means. They called separated prestigious assembly. A prestigious assembly of distinguished citizens who determine law, debate public policy, formulated new policies, argued in world and judicial matters, elected chief magistrates, and decided who should be banished. That's the church. You know, when I was telling you earlier, the Lord comes and he gives me things, and, and he gives you things, and we come together, and we talk about it in evangelism. And when you talk about the word that I believe that, that I hope evangelism keeps grace, I hope evangelism shares grace, and God comes to us and he gives us words to do and things to do to go to the base of Satan's feet to win people to Jesus Christ. 
to determine laws, to say what's right and what's wrong, to be steady, to be steadfast, then to be upheld in the community is righteous. The church. And I hope, Pastor Staff, I hope you pray and hear words from the Lord about who you hire and who you fire. I pray that you guys are, are going around and telling everybody that Jim needs to buy in the face come November the 3rd. They are listening to him, aren't you? That's his first day. He wouldn't make it up. Whoever makes the most money gets by in the face. Be careful about that. I think it's Jim. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we laugh at that, but you need to judge the words I say. And we need to be in prayer together and determining what God wants us to do. I pray that the trustees were hearing from the Lord and, 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 and they hear from the Lord on the things that they do. Now you want to talk about a vow? The Bible says don't give a vow unless you can do it. Well, we've gone around and asked people to be parts of the church. And these kings that represent the church, and many of you said, Yes, Pastor, I'll do that. Man, that's a big, a big assignment there. And if we truly took it on like the church did of old times, it was to build the kingdom of God. And it's to save souls, and, and they determined law. Well, what about outside the church? When we're out in the community, are we distinguished, distinguished leaders? Are we separate from the world? Are we being used to make a difference in the community? Because that's what the church did. You see, so many times the church is laying back. Oh, we've got to keep quiet. I can't say anything when the church is supposed to be leading the charge. The church should be leading the charge on who's going for president. The church should be leading the charge on who we vote in because we're one of the most godless, most righteous person ever. What's the church doing? Are we to that point that we will die? Like Adam said, to see that the church was built against the gates of hell. Now I can go around and tell you how Satan steals stuff in this community right now. I don't need to tell you, do you know what? It's time for the church to stand up. And the reason being is Jesus will be at the point where we'll get into that later. But Jesus knows us. This is point three. And I talked about that he walks among us. And then he's holding the seven lampstand and the angel and the pastor. He's holding them in the hands of He's got them. He's with us. And, and, and point three is Jesus knows us. He walks among us. And, and, and he knows first thing what's going on in our life. You are not alone. And if you look up the Greek word know, K-N-O-W, you look that up in the Greek, it's to see, perceive, understand, comprehend, picture, knowledge gained by a person, personal experience or personal observation. Jesus is amongst us. He sees, he perceives, he understands, he comprehends, he pictures, knowledge gained by his experience about being with us. When he said that to the seven churches, he goes, I'm not just up here and I, I know this, I see this. It's going on. But the thing is, if you listen, and all the churches that through the book there, the seven of them, Jesus says, I know you. He says, I know your works. Again, at 13, works there is your deeds, your actions, your activities. He knows everything about us inside out. You can't hide anything from Jesus. You may be able to hide it from your pastor and your friends, but Jesus knows what's going on. He knew specifically the details about every church 
all seven churches in Revelation. Jesus knew the church of Ephesus worked hard, but they had lost their first love. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus knew the church of Smyrna was facing poverty and persecution for their belief. Revelation 2 9, we talked about. This week, Jesus knew the church of Pergamum lived under the political shadow of the Roman proconsul and experienced political pressure that resulted in deadly persecution. Jesus knew the church of Thyatira had done good works, but were influenced by false doctrine and jeopardized their existence as, many, uh, as, as ministry. Jesus knew the church of Sardis had great, a great reputation, but they were about to die. Jesus knew the church of Philadelphia had been, been given great opportunity, open doors to minister the gospel. Jesus knew the church of Laodicea was rich, but was spiritually dead, lukewarm. He knew these things because he dwelt amongst them. If we believe that Christ resides in us, we shouldn't have any problem with what I'm saying right now. Christ knows us inside out. The Bible even said Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Hebrews 13, 8. The Bible says nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one we are accountable. Hebrews 1, 13. So if he walked with the church did, and he talked to the church did, and he knew them inside out, he does the same thing today. He knows us well. Now that that's established, 24, the problem. Jesus warned Pergamum that they had a group of believers there in the church trying to spiritually compromise God's calling upon the church. Now get that group. A group could have meant two or three people. A group could have meant a third of people. A group could have meant half. I don't know. But there was a group that wasn't everybody. And, and Jesus saw that. And Jesus cares about you and the church. A lot of times when we hear this, we're all like, well, Pastor judging me here today. Jesus is judging you today. You know, what Jesus is doing is it's two months. He's doing a good thing today by sharing this with us. It could be a bad thing if you don't receive it. Yeah. The good thing is he loves the church. He loved the church of Pergamum, and he shared with them their faults. And, and that's a good thing. I want Jesus to show me what keeps me from being what he's called me to be. Do we not? Yeah. Don't we want to know what Christ has called us to be? So if I've got a problem, we want the Holy Spirit to tell us. And so then after he tells us, we have a choice. We can repent, or we can hold on to it. We'll get into that later. But, but we see there was a group in there that was stirred up and caused the problems. And Jesus said in Revelation 2.14, that I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balaam to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. So that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Well, you can learn about Balaam in Numbers, really 21, 22, 23, 24, but I'm going to read from uh, 25, uh, verses 1 through 3. You can be looking that up, but Numbers 25, 1 through 3. But Balaam was a prophet of God, and, and he claimed to be a prophet of God. He was a believer. And that's the point I'm going to compare to you guys here today. He was like some people in this church. That's what Jesus was showing them. He professed and claimed to be a prophet of God. He spoke words of the Lord. He did things of God. And Jesus is comparing them to Balaam. 
Balaam was called by Balak, the king, I believe it was Moab, I can't remember now. But Israel came up and they were wiping everybody out. And, and this king saw that Israel was wiping them out. And he called this guy and he said, hey, uh, um, man, come in. Balaam and, and curse these people. And stop him because they're going to mow me over. And he knew he had no power over him. And, and well, Balaam didn't have any power over him. And that's what really blesses me is, uh, let's just read the scripture here. Now Israel remained in, in Asia Grove, and the people began to commit uh, horror tree with the women of Moab, sexual immorality. They invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal with Peor, and the angel of the Lord was aroused in Israel. And the reason I read all that is Balaam said to this king, he said, I don't have power to curse the people. So he showed Balak, the evil king, how to cause to be a stumbling block so that Israel would come under the judgment of God. And I want us to gather that today. Satan can't touch you. Satan can't move you. Satan has no control over you. But if he can get you to compromise and back off to where you're pulled away from God, you'll fall under God's judgment. Satan can't do anything. And Balaam realized that. And so he's given advice to an evil king how to destroy Israel. That's a pretty bad thing to do. So King Balak, he takes his, his women out and braids them around in front of the men of Israel. Man, they haven't been out and split their lives a while because they've been to war. He braids his women around. And they may have been nude. I don't know, but he braids them around. The men notice them, and they connect sexual harlotry to the king They commit sexual immorality. They begin to give in and give in and give in. So that's the doctrine of Balaam. Basically, the nutshell of the doctrine of Balaam was moral surrender. The only way Satan can get to the believer is that he morally surrender to the Lord. The only way. The only way. Moral surrender means you let go, let's get the people to abandon their faith. So the people abandon their faith and then move into an area of sin, which will lead to judgment, bring judgment on themselves. That's the doctrine of faith. So we saw that in the story here. We see that the men lowered their standards, they met the women, they entered into sin, they ate in the sacrifice food, they accommodated their, their gods, they bowed down to their pagan gods, and they joined in with our fear. They received judgment, received discretion. That's the only way. So that was the first thing that was in the church of, of Pergamon. There was a group of people that, that were, had their own agenda. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later on. And the agenda wasn't to follow the Word of God, or if it wasn't, it would have been to follow their own personal agenda. They had their own ideas, their own things. That's why I started out with the preacher. God gave the vision to the preacher. The church talks about it and establishes their vision. When people come alongside and say, and take a group over here and say, I don't think we need to be doing this anymore, that's contrary to what the pastor of the church is doing. That's the Balaam doctrine. It divides the church. When people are trying to divide the church over whatever it is, that's Balaam doctrine. So we need to, that's what he was warning about. The second thing is the teaching 
of the Nicolaitans. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Now, I want to emphasize, he doesn't hate us. He hates sin. And that's what we need to get a hold of today, that all, everything Christ says, he doesn't hate us, he hates the sin, because it separates us. He saw what it did to Israel in the Old Testament. He sees what it's doing to work in the New Testament. So this doctrine here, basically, is, uh, I'll just read it here. This, this doctrine is, uh, they basically drop it on inclusiveness rather than separating themselves from the world. They believe everyone is right, no one is wrong. Why should there be a need for separation? How many have heard the word inclusiveness this week? Put your hand up. Oh, come on. How many have heard that everybody's right this week? Nobody's wrong? We hear this all the time. It's inclusiveness. Let's, let's just all turn together and let's just all do this together. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's other ways to heaven, there's this, there's that, the other. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We can live among them. We can go to their temples. We can do their things. Many scholars believe that the church moved that direction because of this certain group was living in fear. In other words, they, they saw what was happening with Antipas, and they didn't want that to happen to them. So they were going to the church and just saying to their church, you know, why don't we just compromise a little bit here? And compromise a little bit here. And don't be so tough here. And maybe they'll back off on persecuting us. How many of us want to be like? And if you won't be like if you live like a Christian. And a lot of people won't like it. And so, why don't we just back off a little bit? Why don't we just say, yeah, you guys, it's okay, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and, you know, we'll be friends, and blah, blah, blah. But this is going through our church, in our Christian world today. The, this very morning, Well, I just read it today when I was reading, catching up on tweets, trying to find it here. But Billy Graham put out a tweet, Franklin Graham, and he says, And for me, I will not bow down at the altar of the LGBTQ community or worship their rainbow pride flag. I'm going to stand for the Word of God, the Holy Bible, which is truth, from cover to cover. And he put that out 10 11. And anyway, the first five responses online, this is the first one. Dusty said, cool, we're having a party and hope you wouldn't show up. <laughs> Tanya said, and I hope it isn't our Tanya, the way you are. But Tanya said, maybe we should have discussions with cowboys about bowling, shall we, sir? And I probably shouldn't read that because it's probably filthy if you look into it. But the next one said, weird, because you don't see to have a problem bowing down at the altar of Donald Trump. Another said, oh snap. And I'll just be honest with you, it was a late night dead show, or a late night guy after news. And guys, I used to listen to all of them. I don't listen to any of them anymore. Because it's sick. What they're pushing out. And, and anyway, uh, he responded, man, this guy has even responded to Billy Graham, or whatever he was for And, and, uh, and then the last one really disgusted me. B. 
Because people read this and they believe it. Religion is the practice of training your mind to ignore science, logic, and reason while being able to believe in fairy tales based on faith along and be proud of them rather than appropriately ashamed. That's what the first five responses were to this grandson who was pregnant. And I thought to myself, are we willing to take that type of persecution to stand for the Lord? Are we willing, in the last days when, when all these agendas are before us, are we willing to stand up and say, hey, I'm not going to let that go on. It's not going to happen. I'm going to speak my mind. Every one of us in this room, guys, is going to make a choice. And daily, we're making choices. Every day, we're making choices on whether we're going to follow the Lord or practice the Balaam doctrine or practice the Nicolaitan doctrine. Every day, one of us are all making choices every day. And I, and I don't care what you think you are. First off, with the 2020 election, all of us are going to be making a choice that day. Uh, guys, I've been watching TV and, and watching everybody on their town halls and all the junk going on in the town halls. This one guy at work came out and was asked at a town hall meeting to a religious institution uh, lose tax exempt status if they vote same sex marriage. Yes, they should. And you ought to see what he said after that. We're going to make a choice if he's running for president or if we're going to vote for him or not. We're going to be making a choice that day. Another one I heard about was Elizabeth Warren, which is pushing the LGBTQ agenda and even thinks that taxpayers should pay for inmates who decide they're of the opposite sex. And if you listen to that nonsense that I did about maybe me want to puke, she was saying that if an inmate wants to change their sex, then you, the taxpayer, are going to pay for it. It's her right. You're going to make a choice if she's running for president, whether you vote for her or not. But what gets me is I had this conversation with a buddy of mine when I worked at Freeman. And there was a, I don't even want to get into the president, and the Democratic Republican back then, but, but I said, who do you vote for? And he said, this guy. And I said, you know that guy's morally corrupt. Why are you voting for him for? Because he'll have my pocketbook. We make a choice every day whether we'll pad our pocketbook or follow Jesus Christ. So that's one thing that you say that, no, I don't have that choice. You know, I don't feel what you're talking about, Pastor. That's one day all of us vote for There's a church war. Uh, the, the church world. It's, it's, it's crazy at war. Our own Methodist denomination is crazy at war on this issue. Right we're talking about. They have Balaam's in the house. There's Balaam's in our Methodist systems that are in leadership that are spreading this nonsense that's garbage. And we got to be at war to defend the Word of God. And we got to stand against them. And that's what happened in 219. They, they all had their hatching and they, these Balaam said their thing and went the boat and they still upheld what we believe as Christians. But there's a war going on. There's people that break the rules that claim to do this. There's people that are Baptists that break the rules. There's people that are, are simply to God that break the rules. There's Balaam everywhere. And they guys daily, we're making choices. We're making choices. If you say to me today, and I'm talking too much probably now, 
So if you say to me today that I'm talking nonsense, that the Balaam doctrine and the manipulation doctrine is not alive and well, then just look at the Methodist system. We were one of the biggest denominations in the world, changing the world, moving the world, saving souls, good at all, until they allow some babies in. And we're declining now. Churches like Oakton, they're holding in. Churches that are dealing with the Balaam nonsense and the declaration nonsense are failing. Proven fact. So when I say that, you know, Five signs of modern inclusiveness. In other words, doctrine of manipulations. One, there's no emphasis on living holy, living holy in separation from the world. That's the first thing you'll see. They don't believe holiness, they don't believe they're separate from the world. That's the first sign. Two, there's no emphasis on proper teaching or Bible at all. They say that Bible is just, the progressive will say the Bible is just a reference, motivational sermons is to be used for, but never to be used to judge. That's inclusiveness. There's no emphasis on absolute truth or absolute biblical authority. That's inclusiveness. They say that. And they believe that Christ, they're, they're, they believe there's other ways to have besides Christ. The proper way to read it is no exclusionary belief that Christ is God is the way to have. When these things are embraced by an individual or a church, these faulty beliefs result in powerless, weakened versions of Christianity. Where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is disregarded, the people will be powerless and weakened. And I don't know if you realize this today, but if you look up the Nicolaitans word in Greek, Nicholas, the first part of Nicholas, N-I-K-O-L-A-S, the first part of that word means to conquer subdued people. Back in the day, they should have got it just from that word. When they said that word, the first meaning of that means the conference of duty. That ought to be a flag right off the bat. But they had a small group in the church who were introducing doctrine and deeds that were conquering the people from zapping them of, God, zapping them of God's power these doctrines were bringing Pergamum down. That's why Jesus came in to save his people. That's why we preach the Lord on Sunday morning, because Jesus wants to save his people. Jesus loves his people. We see in 
verse 14 and 15 of Revelation 2, the doctrine of baby, you have some who hopeful the teaching of baby. And then on, on verse 15, on the middle of nations, some who hold the teachings from the Nicolaitans hold there. Uh, again, I, I don't try to sell her out of the three words that she studied a lot. But it, but it means to present active participation. In other words, hold here meant to have a powerful grip on them and they refused to let go. And so that's where this church was at. So Jesus comes in and presents this word to the people through the pastor, and the, and the church is discussing this stuff. And, and he's he saying to the guys, here it is. But the good thing is that if we're caught up in that, we can repent. The good thing is if we see that going on in church, we can check it. We can check these things. That's the awesome, great thing about the word that we can take from this today. But the bad thing is that is those people that will hear this message today. Those people will hear this message tomorrow that you'll share it with, they will hold on to what they have and they won't let go of it for now. In other words, they're going to believe that, they don't care what you say. And that's the ones that need to be sad or scared because it will take them away from Christ eventually. These two doctors to me are very alive and well today. And they're out there, guys. I, I see them everywhere. And, and there isn't a day goes by that somebody in the church doesn't call me about something going on in their life and it doesn't point back to one of those two things. Somebody in their life is it's, it's messing with their marriage. A believer is messing up their marriage. Or a believer is doing this. Believers talking smack on this person. Believers talking smack on that person. It's causing problems. There isn't a day that goes by that, that somebody comes in and says, Man, this guy's compromised, this girl's compromised, I'm struggling, I've got a problem with sexual immorality, and I need forgiven. I deal with these things all the time. It's alive and well today. But Jesus is telling us again. That he's with the pastor to be in the palm of his hand. He's with the church here in the palm of his hand. He knows right where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's here to help you. He's here to guide you. He's here to move on you. He's here to, to do what he needs to do. But we need to get past this false precept that, that Jesus will never allow me to be martyred. A lot of people don't want to swallow that. You know, every time I go to Albania, Liberia, I pray the anointing and the big blood over and all this stuff. And I even heard when Gary got malaria, what happened there? You know, what happened? Did you guys pray that? Man, Gary was healed. And that was a miracle. Look how many lives that changed. After this, you know, we don't realize that you're dead going to hell until you get saved. And when you get saved, that's a new life. Your life's just together. You're never dying. They may have burned Adam his flesh, but his spirit would be with Jesus. He never died. And we think, oh, that guy, he must not have been a good believer. And guys, they're, they're, I don't want to stand up here because I'm going to 
First, I don't believe in that. I got to be murdered sometimes. Been lying around all the time. Then I believe you're going to take it on those that lost the law for what you believe. And people today don't want to take it on those for what they believe. And that's where we got to get to. We got to say we believe what the word says. And be willing to take it on the nose when you don't want to make everybody mad around you. When I pray, Pastor, the Lord will protect me of that. Maybe the Lord will put you in that situation. I told you about the time whenever I was praying to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I want to be like John Wesley, man. There'd be thousands of people that, that were out in the fields and get preached to them. And, and, and no offense, guys, but I preach to Christians every week. And I, I want to preach to the unsaved, too. And Lord, give me that opportunity. And guess what? The phone rang. Ring, ring, ring. And, and, and this, it was a family wanted me to do a funeral. And they're a rough and tough family. And, I, and I've got to be careful because I can't see who's here today. But, but there were three families involved in that funeral. And I guarantee you that 90% of the people that went to that funeral had never entered the church before. Maybe you were with me that day. I forgot about my wife's not with me today. She's in Branson. We got several, or not several, a few women at the ladies' conference in Branson. But we got asked to go to this funeral. Dad's done two funerals there. My dad's up there. And both times, Dad did a funeral where a fight broke out and the cops were called both times, correct? And, and anyway, they called me. And I'm like, God, I don't do that. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, You want to preach to them? say, and I called him back and said, I'll do it. And, and anyway, literally, and I've shared this with you guys before, but the, the minute that I opened the prayer, one by one they left. Or the wife, maybe 10 or 15, left in the room. And I just kept preaching. I just kept preaching the word. And I, I was preaching the word. And you know how hard it is to preach the word when people are walking out, when people don't like it, and Satan's attacking your mind, and, and you just keep pressing in to do what you believe. It's all you're about to do, the Lord will do the rest. But as I kept going by the end of the service, 90% of them were back in and they were even videotaping, keep preaching. Now, I don't know what they're doing with the video. <laughs> they were literally videotaping eight foot away. And, and then Landon was talking about after, that's the hardest thing that you ever do. The guys, why do we got in our head that it's always going to be touching feet all the time? The tough of this world, yes, we're not going to be popular. And it's going to be like it is at school when you're a little kid and nobody talked to you because you didn't have the right pair of blue jeans on. My mom always made me wear the double knee colored things because I wore them out and all the other kids had Levi's and, and back then a uh, bell bottom or whatever they were. And I had these ugly jeans on, and I embarrassed me, and my father said, I wonder if I could have a new pair of jeans that she bought them for me. And it didn't, it didn't matter, they still didn't talk to me. You know? We've got to get to the point where we don't care what anybody else thinks. And live the word of God out. Live it out. Praise God if you don't come forward today.